Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast that explores what it means to live out the feminine genius in our daily, ordinary lives as Catholic women. One of my favorite podcasts that I listened to in the early hours of the morning during feedings when Maeve was a tiny little baby was Coffee and Crumbs. It was honest, it's raw, and I found myself stifling laughter as the women on the show shared their stories of marriage and motherhood. A phrase that I will never forget from one of their episodes is this one. Postpartum is forever. It struck me as I sat there cradling a tiny sweet newborn baby that that was right. I'm always going to be Maeve's mom and I will always have had given birth to her. Postpartum brings so many changes. There's recovery from a birth, adjusting to a new baby in the house, setting boundaries, managing expectations, juggling mealtimes, so, so little sleep, and the beauty of a new life. In today's episode, we're talking all things postpartum. So whether you're a new mom entering into that season yourself or someone near and dear that you love is giving birth soon and you're wondering how to help, this letter is for you. Hey, we're welcoming to the show Elizabeth Andre. She is a Catholic certified postpartum doula with the International Doula Institute. Elizabeth, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be having a conversation about the postpartum season, how postpartum doulas accompany moms after they give birth, how to grow closer as a family in that season, and how you can support postpartum women in your life. But to start us off, Elizabeth, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah. So I am 23 years old. I live in it around Atlanta, Georgia, and I've lived here my whole life. And I am very blessed that both my parents are very Catholic, and they homeschooled me and my three siblings. So they learned more about their faith as we were growing. So we kind of like all had this faith journey. So I was always very close with Jesus. I did kind of come across as the goody-goody in high school who, you know, told her siblings what to do and, you know, always was involved in every church thing ever. Um, so I, I knew all the old people at my parish because I was a cantor. I was a lector. I was in the choir. I helped with the youth group. I helped in the church nursery. Like, I did kind of everything. Yeah, and so when I was in, in high school, you know, you hear all the – the youth group leaders talking about their super deep, you know, come to Jesus moment or experience. Um, and I never had that. And I was like, you know, I wish, I wish I had something like that happen to me, which is a weird thing to want to have like a hard experience. But I was just like, it drew them closer to Jesus. And I want that. And then my prayer was answered. So be careful what you wish for. Not to go into too much detail, but when I was 16, I just, 16 is a rough year. And I had a lot of people that I was really close to make some bad decisions. And I just lost a lot of trust in, you know, family and friends. I am really good at blaming myself for other people. So I kind of like put it all on me. And I was like, oh, because of XYZ, that's why this happened. Because of all of this negative self-talk, um, I developed an eating disorder um, and struggled with that for about a year. And that was my, you know, deep come to Jesus moment that I had been wanting. And why did I want that? Because <laughs> it was not fun. But thanks to some amazing family and friends who kind of helped build up my trust again, I was able to overcome it and knew that there were people who were looking out for me, which was amazing. And I was like, you know, after this, 
after I graduate high school, I want to do mission work. So I was looking and researching, and I found this organization called Net Ministries with Net Ireland in Scotland. So it was an amazing experience. I was there for two consecutive years. And after Net, I was like, I want to study theology so I can be a youth minister. I was like, this is my path. This is what I'm going to do. And the Lord just kind of probably laughing at me like, you're funny. So I went to school and I studied theology for one semester and the school was not a good fit for me. My mom, who was very pro-college, was the one who convinced me not to go back after Christmas break. So we drove up to Tennessee in a snowstorm and got my stuff and moved me back home. And so then I came home and I worked and I was like, all right, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'll, I'll figure it out. And then I decided I want to go to culinary school and be a chef. And I went to culinary school for one semester. I got a very clear sign from the Lord that it was not where I was supposed to be because I developed 23 food sensitivities and couldn't eat anything that I was making. So again, the Lord was just laughing at me like, you're funny. You think you know what you're doing. And so I finished the semester and then just worked full-time. I was like, forget it. I'm not not doing anything. I'm just going to work. So I worked at a restaurant, which turned into a toxic environment because of management. So I left the restaurant. It's been a lot of like start something and leave something and start something and leave something else. And so after I left the restaurant, I worked as a nanny for a year and a half. And in that time, I realized that I loved working with families. And that kind of brings me to where I am today. So I've had a very long story with lots of start, stop, start, stop, start, stop, start again type moments. That brings us to where you are now as a postpartum doula. So the, the story continues. How did you become interested in becoming a doula? What attracted you specifically to the work of a postpartum doula? My whole life, I always knew that I wanted to get married and be a mother. I just, I feel that's my vocation, but I wasn't interested in dating when I was in high school. So I didn't date. I'd never gone on a date and I was 20 years old after coming home from net. And then I turned 21 over the summer and I was just, you know, when you're a woman and you're 21 and you know, marriage is your vocation, you're like, okay, God, what's going on? What's happening? And I was asked out by a guy shortly after my birthday. And I was infatuated with the idea of dating, not necessarily with the guy. He was 13 years older than me. My family didn't really like him, but I was just, you know, excited that somebody wanted me. So I dated this guy for 11 months and I didn't realize most of the stuff until after, but in the relationship, he was a very controlling guy and had a very set idea of what he wanted his life to be and was not very good at compromising. And he wanted to marry a woman who had a degree, preferably from Notre Dame, and he wanted to have a dual income family. I, through his insistence, signed up to go back to college for an education degree, but it was not something that I enjoyed. When I was at culinary school, I was really good at getting the grades, but I was having panic attacks and I was freaking out under the pressure to get the grades. And 
I knew that was going to happen again, but he was still pushing me to go back to school. That was kind of where I was in my life journey in the summer of 2018. Things just escalated and got really bad, and I broke up with him the end of June. I just looked at my life, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going back to school because somebody that I don't interact with anymore wants me to go back to school. I'm a very uh, detail-oriented person, so I took the next four months, and I researched what I really wanted to do in my life. And I'd taken this personality test that matched you with different careers. None of the ones that were listed really interested me, but I came up with this. I showed the the finished project to my parents when I was done, and it was an 18-page document. But it was this table that had, you know, all of the different careers and like pros and cons and how much you'd make with this career and what you need to do this and all this sort of stuff. So I spent a couple hours every week looking at these different careers. And in addition to the personality test, I Googled, what can you do to work with families and children without needing a college degree? There was this list of different professions and doula was at the bottom and I was like oh this is interesting you know this is cool so in my research I googled for doulas in my area and I spoke to a woman in my area who's also Catholic and is a birth doula and we talked for like an hour and she told me her whole story and after the end of the conversation she said sounds like you would really be suited for postpartum work. And I had no idea what that was because I had only researched what a birth doula was. And so she explained to me that postpartum doulas work with the family after they come home from the hospital and are really integral in helping the family get a good start and just being supportive in a time where you don't always have someone to be supportive. And so I, at the end of however long it was, four months, presented this 18-page document to my parents. And I said, this is what I want to do. I've researched it. I have a two-year plan. And and here it is. And they said, okay. (laughs) And that was that. When you are with a family doing work as a postpartum doula, what is your, what is your role as a postpartum doula look like? What What are some of your favorite ways to accompany women and families after they bring their baby home? So the role of the postpartum doula can vary from family to family, but in general, my job is to make a woman's postpartum journey easier, however that looks. So it could be doing laundry, dishes, meal prep, taking care of the older siblings or being like, hey, I'll take them to the park so you can be at the house and nurse the baby and take a nap. Or I also provide overnight care for families so I can come and work a shift from, you know, 10 to 6 and say Mm -hmm. the family is bottle feeding, then I can do all of the feeds during the night and soothe the baby so mom can get eight hours of uninterrupted sleep. And then I, you know, tap out as I'm leaving and the mom takes over. So there's a lot of different things a postpartum doula can do. So it's, it's hard to pin it down into one box, but my, my general job title, if you will, is a professional support person 
trained in the needs of the mother and family after birth, which can look like a lot of different things. Yeah, because each mother's postpartum is going to look different too. Like the needs that each specific family is going to be very different. I I just am listening to you to describe the overnight and just thinking, oh, that sounds like such a luxury. Oh, eight hours of sleep with a new baby just sounds so beautiful and foreign. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not something that everybody takes you up on. Some people want more help during the day, but some people are just like, I need sleep. So help. Yep. I know the feeling. <laughs> yes. I follow a lot of people on Instagram or Facebook or any kinds of social media. And it's easy to, to look at someone's profile or to watch their Instagram stories and think, oh, they, they have it all together, especially maybe they're new moms. And maybe it just like, it looks like they've got it, they've got it figured out. But behind the screen, a lot of moms could be struggling. I mean, a lot of us as in general can be struggling, but I think especially about new moms, how does your role as a postpartum doula make space for women to be able to ask for help and realize they don't, they don't have to have it all together? That's, that's really important. Like you said, especially in our society where everything has to be picture perfect. Um, and on a side note, I just got an Instagram page for my business and Instagram is not my thing at all. I've, I've been stressing about, you know, how do I make my business look picture perfect? And it's, it's a trap that we can fall into on both sides, the mom and me trying to make it look like I've got it all together. Um, which I don't, but my job is, is to be affirming and upbuilding for new moms. Um, and when I'm interacting with somebody, say I'm working, you know, every day for five hours, I'm going and I'm, I'm talking to the mom and we're building a relationship and that, that gives them a space to be vulnerable and to feel like they trust you and they know that anything they tell me is going to be kept in confidence. Once there's a relationship, it's, it's easier for the mom to say, Hey, you know what? I actually don't have it all together. Like, can you go do the loads of laundry that are sky high in the laundry room? Or can you, um, you know, hold the baby so I can go take a nap because I'm exhausted. My job is to be a non-judgmental support person which is really rare in the world of let me take a picture of what I'm doing, make sure it looks post looks looks perfect, put a filter on it and put it on Instagram with a really cute caption. And this little square of picture could just be one square of your house that's clean and it's it's it doesn't mean the rest of your house is clean, um, or whatever. It's hard for a mom, a new mom to be vulnerable sometimes. And so that's why it's really important that, you know, we build a relationship so that she can not just see me as like, you know, hired help coming into the house, but somebody who can be a listening ear or a shoulder to cry on or, you know, even a person to rant to and say, you know, my birth didn't happen the way I wanted it to. I wanted to have a natural birth and the doctor said X, Y, and Z, and they made me have an emergency C-section and... I'm, you know, I'm not happy about it or whatever her story could be. It's, it's my job to listen and to say, you know, it's okay that you don't have it all together because to me, any woman who gave birth to a new human being is amazing. I just, I think it's the most amazing, beautiful thing to bring 
new life into the world. Yeah, I think it's so easy, especially having lived through that season of a mom to a brand new baby. It's so easy to think of all the things that I don't have together that I'm not doing well. You mentioned so many ones that I thought of in those first few months. I I cannot keep on top of this laundry. Why is there so much laundry? I cannot, I cannot get a good night's sleep. Why, why am I up every two, one or two hours? But then it's easy to to lose focus of the fact that I birthed a baby. That's something that's so beautiful and good, but it's easy to let that get eclipsed by this list of things that I don't think I'm doing well in that season. So that's just such a good way to focus, to bring the focus back on the thing that is important and that is good. I think, uh, yeah, I just, I can't say enough how amazing childbirth is. It, It just blows me away. Congrats to every mom out there. You are amazing and wonderful and you are good enough. End of story. I think back on the days when we brought baby Maeve home about eight months ago and watching Joseph be a dad to Maeve. And sometimes I saw him experience this too, husbands and dads feeling kind of at a loss when it comes to supporting both their both the mom and the baby, uh, their wife and their new baby after birth. How can parents grow together in this season of postpartum and help each other out when it comes to taking care of the baby when you bring a new baby home. That is a really important thing to address. Um, and I, I knew a guy once who told me that when he, you know, years in the future, when he got married and was a dad, when he came home from work, he told me that he thought it would be unfair um, of his wife to ask him to help with kids when he got home. You know, it, it wouldn't be fair for her to ask, you know, hold the baby so I can finish making dinner or change the baby's diaper or whatever, because to him, he he was justified in being able to sit on the couch and play video games for half an hour while wife did whatever to get dinner ready. And that to me is a really, a really backwards way of looking at it because the mom isn't the only parent in the situation. The dad is, is kind of an important contributing factor. And I think the biggest way that parents can grow together is to have an open line of communication before, I mean, even before the baby is born to make sure that you're on the same page and to, to really have an honest conversation, to, to be open and humble. And that's kind of the second point that I want to make is communication and humility because, I mean, it's needed on both sides for both the mom and the dad because we live in a world where you know, it it says if you ask for help, it means you're weak. And that's so not true. Because if you ask for help, it means that you have the strength to say, I don't have it all together, which is really beautiful and vulnerable. And that strength and vulnerability is what really can unite the couple closer communication and humility, but yeah, definitely. And then a few practical things would just be for the dad to try to go to as many, you know, doctor's appointments or ultrasounds or parenting classes or childbirth classes or whatever. So that from day one, they're on the same page and they know like, you know, this is what's going to happen when my wife gives birth and this is what it's going to be like after the baby comes home type of thing. And then one more thing that is good to help dads get involved um, is something called skin to skin. Moms, you get a lot of cuddle time with your baby. And 
it can be a hard, hard for the dad to, you know, see that and feel like he's kind of left out um, because the mom is the only one who can provide that nourishment for the baby in that way. But that doesn't mean the dad can't have the same cuddle time and snuggle time with the baby. And he can also do, you know, what's called skin to skin with the baby and just hang out with baby on his chest. And that's, I think that's such a a beautiful picture of vulnerability on the dad's side to say, you know what, I'm going to get in the trenches with my wife and I'm going to be right there with her and I'm going to, you know, do what I can to help her and support her and be there for her and the baby. I really like what you're saying about vulnerability and strength and just reflecting on how much courage it takes to be vulnerable, to admit that you need help or to admit, to admit that there are places where you, where you need things, especially, you know, combating the lie that oh, asking for help makes me needy or asking for help means that I, you know, I shouldn't have to ask for help. I should be able to do this myself and the courage that it takes to combat those lies and be vulnerable and ask for help. And especially with your spouse, how beautiful it is to be vulnerable in a place where you, you can trust each other um, with that vulnerability. That's just, I, I can think of so many and blessed with so many uh, good memories of those first couple of months with Joseph and, and moments where both of us are able to be vulnerable with each other about what we needed and how that brought us closer together. And yeah, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been able to kind of combat this lie that being vulnerable makes me weaker or being vulnerable makes me less than. So I, I love that you spoke into that. Yeah. Being vulnerable is strength and mm-hmm. it's, it's such a beautiful strength that I think the world needs to see more of. For listeners who are listening to the episode, who should consider a postpartum doula and how can new moms go about finding the right postpartum doula for their family? Not that I'm biased, but I'd say any new mom should look into a postpartum doula. Like it's not just because of my job, but every everybody that I tell about my job who's, you know, in their 40s or 50s or even beyond that who had kids the response that I hear so often is, where were you when I had a kid? There's a a saying that says it takes a village to raise a child, but we don't live in villages anymore. We live in, you know, neighborhoods where we may or may not know our neighbors. We live in apartments or condos or whatever. And especially in Atlanta, there's so many people who are transplants, my parents included. My mom's from Texas. And my dad's from Louisiana. So when she had her kids, she didn't, I mean, I'm assuming that her mom came to visit. I don't remember. But yeah, anybody can benefit from a doula, whether you're a first time parent and don't really know what you're supposed to do with this human being that you, you know, that's dependent on you. Or if it's like, you know, you I mean, I'm in Catholic homeschool circles. If you, if it's your 10th kid and you're like, oh my gosh, I need someone to take my other six to their homeschool class and take this one there and that one there or whatever, a postpartum doula can be helpful for anybody, really. Um, and for how to go about finding one, um, there is a website called doulamatch.com. It sounds cheesy, but um, you basically can search by zip code for who's in your area and they list, you know, who they certified with, how many families they've helped, um, different qualifications. So that website is really good 
And then also just you can do a Google search or search Facebook or Instagram by hashtags and, you know, look for doula or postpartum doula or Catholic doula or whatever doula you want to look for. You know, you can usually find several options in your area. And then even just word of mouth. Chances are you know somebody who had a postpartum doula or a doula or know somebody who knows somebody because um, the world is, is pretty small. I'll, I'll meet one person and think, you know, I've met all of the doulas in my area. And then they'll say, do you know so-and-so? I'm like, no. And then a week later I'll meet somebody who knows that person or even who is that person. It's like, oh, you know, it's all connected. I, I see how all the dots tie together now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so true. Yeah, that's how we we had a doula who helped us through that first part, just the birth part aspect of Maeve coming into the world. And yeah, it was we found out about the idea of a doula through a friend who put who sent us over to doula match, and then we worked through it, and we found someone who we loved, and it clicked with both Joseph and I really beautifully. So yeah, it's that I love that website. It's such a good resource. I just I think it's so good to have a place where a directory, like an online directory, where you could go through and and see who's available in the area. And then, yeah, to note that that's not everybody, that there's some people who are on there. And yeah, it's just such a beautiful network of women yeah. who are helping women. Mm-hmm. Even if it has a cheesy name, it's got some good stuff on it. <laughs> for when, for listeners who are listening, but they're not, they're not pregnant themselves, but they know someone in their life who will, who either is in the season of postpartum, especially the new stages of postpartum, or is getting ready to give birth. What are some ways that they can come alongside those women and support them in their lives? That's a really good question. Um, So kind of like I was talking about how, you know, the role of the postpartum doula is different for each family. It's also different for, you know, how friends and other family members can support the mom. But the overarching thing that I would say is applicable to every situation is to take some time and listen. Um, And it's, it can be really easy to, you know, hear, oh, so-and-so had a baby and kind of think, all right, I'll reach out and I'll, I'll bring dinner on this week and then I'll sit and hold the baby and, and, you know, you kind of have a plan, which is really awesome to kind of have ideas, but sometimes they might not be what the mom needs. So I think it's really important if you reach out to a friend who's, you know, pregnant or going to give birth and, and ask and say, what, what do you want me to do? How can I help you? Um, instead of having our own agenda, which I fall into really easily, I kind of have, all right, this is what I'm going to do. But to take a step back and listen, um, because, you know, maybe she would love dinner, but maybe she would also, you know, want you to take her kids to the park when you come visit instead of holding the baby, because it is her baby and she probably wants to hold her baby. Um, so the baby's still going to be there when you visit next month. And, you know, it's, it's easy to have our own agenda, um, which can be hard to hear and be like, no, 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 you know, I, I'm doing this to help the mom or whatever. But listen is really important. Listen to the mom, ask her how she's doing. Don't, don't just coo over the baby. Don't forget the mom because the mom needs support. She's the one who just gave birth and 
needs love and support and care and, you know, might need someone who's going to listen and, and sit and listen to her story or might need somebody that she can just, you know, sit in silence with and know that somebody's there for her. Listen and be present to the mom. I feel like I said that a million times, but I think it just taps into that sensitivity to each woman's story. Like just how you're talking about how it's hard to describe what you do as a postpartum doula kind of as a, a short description because it looks different with each family. Like so too for women who who go to see friends who've had babies, each each one of those families will be interacting in that post postpartum season in a different way. So just really being able to be sensitive to their needs and sensitive to their story. And I, I love how you, what you mentioned before, which is creating a relationship where they can trust you. Yeah. Um, and so, to, so too for friends to have that, to have that relationship where a mom can say things like, I know, I like, I feel like you would probably want to hold my baby, but could you help me with the laundry and to create that space for her to be able to ask that and to be vulnerable in that ask too. Yeah. How about on the flip side for women who are listening, who are expecting or are recently postpartum themselves, what's your go-to advice for women who are listening, who are in that season themselves? I think vulnerability and not, not being afraid to ask for help and not, not being afraid to rely on other people because we are this big, beautiful body of Christ and we all should be loving and supporting one another. Um, so if, if you're listening and you are pregnant or if you're, um, you know, newly postpartum, it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to say that, you know, I don't have it all together. I have this sign in my room that a priest told me to write down once because I was in confession and I kept telling him about how I compare myself to other women and comparison is the thief of joy. And so wherever you are in your journey is a beautiful place. And it might not be an easy place, but God is there in that place with you. And he wants to hold you and love you wherever you're at. That's so beautiful. I had a priest in confession after talking about something very similar, have him say, there's grace in the present moment. There's grace here, like right here in your story. Mm. Even if you want to be somewhere else in your story, or you would like to be in someone else's story, Mm -hmm. living the life that you, especially the life you perceive them to have, it may not even be the life they actually have, but there's grace here, like right now for you. So that's, oh, it's such a good reminder. I love that. Where can listeners find more about you online? So I have a Facebook page, which is Elizabeth Andre Postpartum Doula, which I try and be pretty active on. Um, I have a post almost every day of the week with different things from random memes that I find funny. You may or may not find funny. Um, <laughs> and But I also try and have things like health tips throughout the, um, you know, for the seasons or different articles about common hot topics um, in the parenting circles. So Instagram as well, which is Elizabeth underscore postpartum doula, um, which is new. So it doesn't have quite as much content, but I'm getting there. Um, And then I have a website, which is, it's ecjandry.wixsite.com forward slash doula. Um, So it might be easier to just find in the notes. Um, And yes, I am on doula match. So to wrap up the conversation, the question that I ask every woman at the end of this podcast as we explore what does it mean to live the feminine genius 
is this, Elizabeth, how do you live out the feminine genius in your daily life as a woman, especially as a woman with a passion for accompanying other women after their babies are born? So I think the best way that I, I live out my feminine genius is to try and channel my inner Mary, um, (laughs) and my inner Mary and Elizabeth. Um, and I think that I just, I have this beautiful job that allows me to be with other women in their most vulnerable times. And I had a priest tell me once in confession, which is where all the good advice comes from. And he, he told me to, you know, take it easy on myself and not freak out about, you know, getting the next job or whatever. Um, but to take time and thank God for my talents and just remember that I'm doing this because I love to love and I love to serve. So I just try and approach my job saying, how can I do this load of laundry? How can I do this load of dishes with a servant's heart? Because to me, what I do is more than just a job. And I want the families that I work with to be able to see that and see that I'm not just showing up for a paycheck, but I'm there to love and support and empower the women in their lives to be able to live their feminine genius in a more real way, more vulnerable way, more honest way. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I just needed this podcast episode eight months ago. And so (laughs) thanks for helping me just create it for the women who, who need it today. You're very welcome. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. If you head over to my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, you'll find the show notes for today's episode. Every resource that Elizabeth and I mentioned is going to be in there, as well as links to her website, doula match, and things like that. So head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com to check it out. If you have a spare minute, rate and review the podcast on iTunes so it can be an easier resource for women to find as they're searching through podcasts over on iTunes. And that is all I have for this week's episode. Tune back next week. I'm sitting down with Elizabeth from The Plant-Based Catholic, and we're going to be talking about the way we talk about diets and how we can honor that dignity in the way that we talk about our bodies and the bodies of others. I cannot wait to share that conversation with you. It's absolutely beautiful. But that is next time. So until next time, be not afraid.